Praise the Lord. I have been traveling. Uh, my family, my niece had a wedding in Wisconsin this past weekend, and so we left 4.30 in the morning, I think it was, on Friday to try and make it all the trek up to Wisconsin, and, and uh, some of the ideas might come from a little bit of that travel that we had, so maybe buckle up, I don't know. I do want to thank Pastor for allowing me to speak, and I feel terrible. We've been praying for him and Sister Shostrin that they will uh, feel better and overcome whatever this is. And we, my wife and I, last night we were on our way home yesterday, and and we decided as we were driving through Indianapolis that um, we wanted to see the Children's Museum. It's the largest in the world, apparently. And if you know anything about my wife, anything, the world's largest, she wants to stop and see it and get a picture. This is the world's largest children's museum, and she'd been wanting to see that for a while, and we were like, well, we took a break to eat, and we thought, why not just, you know, get a cheap hotel room on Priceline or something and, and stay and let the kids have a time today at the children's museum. And after we booked it and started heading that way, Pastor called and said, hey, can you speak? And um, no problem at all. We had plenty of time uh, to do that, and that was wonderful. And I'm just sorry that I wasn't able to be here on Sunday to help when they were out. But I did watch online, and Brother David did a fantastic job <laughs> Sunday morning. Amen. And um, Bishop, your message Sunday night spoke to me, and that is where I draw some inspiration tonight as well. So one thing that has been lingering on my mind is so much going on in the world that makes us uneasy. Turn on the news and it doesn't take long before you hear something about a submersible. Anybody follow along? For almost a week, just emotional ups and downs searching for these survivors, hopefully, that we could go and help them and, and save those, those passengers on that submersible to the Titanic. And I know lots of people were just emotionally upset about the whole situation. Anybody try to go outside and breathe today? <laughs> so much going on, even up north in Wisconsin. We were there, and of course, I guess it's further north, so it might be expected to be even hazier and cloudier there. Uh, but I was surprised to hear how much it affected Ohio as well. And where we were today at the Children's Museum, they wouldn't even let us outside because the smoke was too bad for air quality. But I thought we, we walked in here from the outside. Why can't we go outside? Anyhow. They let us walk out to leave. But there's so much that's going on in the world, and it's so easy to feel uneasy. It's so easy for these things to start reeling and, and wondering, and it's easy for people to get a little nervous, a little anxious, a little upset about things that are going on in the world. I won't touch politics, but it's going on. Amen. Problems at work, in your own family, on and on. It's easy to feel untethered and out of control. It's why people so often turn to unhealthy things 
to dull the pain or distract them from reality. But no matter what they try, eventually it's going to catch up to them. We're in the world. We've got to deal with the world. Amen. And Bishop spoke about Jesus, the rock, and having him as our rock. And I got to thinking about how bad the world might seem and the situations that we might face in this world. We have a rock that we can stand on, and we don't have to feel any of that anxiety or nervousness. We don't have to be upset about the things going on because we stand on the rock. If you'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22, I'm just going to read a few verses here. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. He is my rock. He's the one that shields me from all of that. I can stand assuredly that he's taking care of all of that. Another verse says, I can lay my head down and sleep because he's in control. I don't need to be worried about anything going on. He's got it. Amen? If David had anything, he had enemies. He fought giants. He fought lions and bears, Philistine kings, Philistine armies. The very king himself was after him, not once, but over and over again. Now, I've had problems, but if I try to put myself in David's shoes, I don't know if I've had those kind of problems. I've never been worried about the President of the United States having a target on my back. I don't know that I'd survive long if he did. David was able to manage, amen, against a king who was out for him. He had enemies on every side. At one point, even his friends, he said, a man mine equal was against me. Those are some problems. And then he penned this song, he is my rock. I don't have to be afraid of anything because he is in control. That's what David said God was to him. He is sure. In fact, I thought about this. Why? What is a rock? Why use a rock as an analogy? A rock is strong. It's inflexible. You can't without much, I mean, it takes a lot of effort to break a rock, right? It's not easily moved, especially the larger it is. You can't push it out of the way. You can't move it. It's sure. It's steady. It's going to be there. There's a reason I believe that Jesus said, if the people didn't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out and worship. Because, why didn't he say the sky or the dead twigs on the ground or the water from underneath the earth? He said the stones, the rocks are going to cry out. That's the most inanimate thing there is. 
That's the most not living thing there could possibly be. And he said, if you don't worship me, they will. Why? Because stones, rocks, they are immovable, strong, steady, constant. They endure time. And they are stoic and rigid and nothing without a whole lot of force can move these rocks. Amen. This is what David said God is to him. He's sure. He's immovable. When there is every reason to be feel like you're just spiraling right out of control, David said, God is my rock. If I set my feet on that rock, on the rock, I cannot be moved. Amen? So whatever it is going on in life, if you put your feet on the rock, if you let him steady you and anchor you and stay your feet, doesn't matter what's going on around you, he's in control. Hey, hallelujah. Psalm chapter 27 and verse 5 says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And Psalm 61 and verse 2, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Ever been there? When things are going out of control, your heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Hallelujah. And if we put our feet on this rock, I believe it's like this. Luke chapter 6, Jesus spoke this parable. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Whatever it is you might be going through, whatever might make you nervous or you might be thinking about as you lay your head down at night, if you step on that rock, there is surety. There is security. Amen? God will protect you in turbulent times. Your stay, your anchor, he's your mooring. He's immovable and he's protective. It's that rock. In Second Samuel, if we could go back to that passage in verse 2. Second Samuel 22 verse 2. And he said, the Lord is my rock. Now, interestingly, that word rock is a cliff. Being high, secure. Things might be going on down here, but I'm well above it. The enemies may be attacking, but they can't climb a cliff. God, the Lord is my cliff, my high tower. The next phrase, and my fortress, my deliverer. But when we go to verse 3, the Hebrew word here for the God of my rock is exactly that, a rock. It does reference possibly a cliff, but more often it's used to mean the God, my rock. And it happens to be the same word 
that Moses used in Deuteronomy when he wrote his own song about who God is, and he called him the capital rock. He is the rock. The same word here David used that Moses used before, that God is my rock, my sure foundation. In him will I trust. Again, he is my shield, my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. He is my rock. Amen? And sometimes when we're in a situation that's not easy to see that God is our rock, I don't know about you, but I've been in some turbulent times, some situations where it felt like I didn't know how I was going to get out. When I would lay my head down, I knew the scripture. I knew God said in his word, he, lays, he gives his beloved sleep. I knew that, but my mind didn't. You ever been there? I know in my heart, God, I can, your word is true. I know I should be able to just fall asleep now, but all I can think about is da-da-da. I know it, but sometimes I need reminded <laughs> Sometimes I need some external source to say, hey, just remember what God has done. Ever been there? I'll never forget as we traveled through the Holy Land. Went to, I don't know if they knew he got some of those rocks, but he had a rock from every place we went. And I loved it. And he was like, here, look, this rock I got from this place and this rock I got from this place. Well, there's something powerful when we are reminded of the places we've been. And even more, these are places where miracles happened and things that we read about in our Bible took place. And Joe was like, I'm not leaving here without a piece of this. I want to be connected to that place, to that thing, to that memory, to that miracle. A colleague of mine at work, he said, he said, Shane, when you go to Israel, could you just do one thing for me? I'm like, sure, what do you want? He's like, I just want a rock. Can you bring me back a rock from Israel? And uh, one of the first things we did on the Sea of Galilee, the boat we were on, they were selling rocks that they had actually made into these nice little trinkets, and it had a scripture attached and everything. And so I bought something that was not just a rock. It had a little bit even more significance from the Sea of Galilee on the waters that Jesus walked on, and I was able to bring that back to him. But why do you want something? A tangible piece of a reminder of what God has done. Amen? I remember years ago, I don't know if you can remember this, I remember pastor preached a message. I mean, it had to be early on when they came. So now that's going on, I mean, uh, close to 20 years ago. And he preached a message about rocks and how once they've been in the presence of the Lord, they're not the same. And they never will be because they've been in his presence. And he had a bunch of rocks up here on the altar. Anybody remember this? He had a bunch of rocks up here on the altar. And he said at the end of his sermon, you come get a rock because these rocks now have been in the presence of the Lord and they'll never be the same. And now you can keep this rock. I still have that rock. And it's a reminder of no matter what, he's still in control. He's still the one who has it all in control. And even when I get nervous and upset, I can rest assured that he's got it in his hand. If you remember the story of Naaman the leper, 
He was the general of the Syrian army, and we won't read it, but he had heard that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal him of his leprosy. And so, okay, let's go to Israel and see if this prophet can heal me. And do you remember the story? He gets there, and Elisha tells him, go wash. Actually, he doesn't even come and talk to him face to face. He sends his servant, tells him, go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. And Naaman was all huffy and puffy about it. I thought he'd at least come down and booga booga something over me, and then I would be healed. And just to tell me to go dip in this dirty river, I mean, there are rivers in Syria that are better than this one. Why should I do that? And it was his servant that had to say, well, hey, if he had told you to just do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Well, yeah. How much easier? Go dip in the river seven times. Naaman does it. What happened? He's healed. And it says his skin was like a baby. I mean, it was better than healed. He had great skin from then on. And one of the things he did before he left Israel, he said, please put two mules worth of soil. I want to take the dirt from this place back to where I live so that I can worship the one true God. I'm going to go back to my land in Syria, but I'm going to use this tangible dirt, this reminder, this rock and stone that I am not the same as I used to be. I mean, maybe those baby hands probably did eventually get some wrinkles. He's not alive today that I'm aware of. So he did grow old and, and eventually pass away. I don't know if his skin was just baby beautiful when he went or not. But even if he looked down and started to see those spots, you know, we get as we get older, he had some soil. He had some ground, some tangible peace that wasn't going to fade away, wasn't going to erode away. He had it, and he knew that this was a reminder of what God did for me. I'm going to worship God right here on the soil of Israel, even though I'm surrounded by my circumstance. I'm still in Syria. I'm still living in this place, but I've got a little bit of a reminder of what God has done for me. I can't forget it. So no matter what comes my way, no matter what situation or trial or whirlwind may come to face me, I've got some tangible thing that I remember. God is in control. Hallelujah. There is something special about touching those things. When I was in Israel again, I remember we visited um, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it's where the Catholics believe Golgotha is. And they had the slab where Jesus um, had been prepared for burial after he was taken down off the cross. And they had even where his tomb was. And as we passed Golgotha, the rock, people were uh, going in underneath this little cove and, and kissing the rock. And okay, it didn't do much for me because Calvary isn't there. Calvary's here for me, but it was still really neat to see, and if it was authentic, wow, I don't blame those people for kissing it, and then we went down these stairs, and there was this slab, and that's where Jesus was laid and prepared for, for being buried, and there were several women, several women, just tears streaming down their faces as they were caressing this, you could see it was worn, smoothed from 
centuries of people touching this tangible piece of what the Savior was there. His dead body was there, according to them. And I don't, I don't blame them for that. I would too, if it was, in fact, I think I did touch it, just to say I did. Doesn't do anything for me, but it sure did for those ladies who were there just weeping, remembering, being so, feeling so close to Calvary and so close to that experience. It was a reminder for them of what God had done for them. Amen? That's what it was for Joe to bring those rocks home, a reminder I don't know if he ever has looked back at him since. I don't know. But it feels like if I was struggling and I wanted to remind myself, wow, these miracles that I read about in this word really happened, I might go and put my hand in that bag of those rocks and remember, wow, this is the place where this happened and this is the place where that happened. And remember that God has done some great things for me throughout the years. So whatever I'm facing now, what is that to God? He's in control. He is my rock, my sure foundation. Hallelujah. No matter what it is, in fact, these rocks are so important scripturally that there are several places where it talks about the landmarks. And a landmark was simply a stone that they would put to mark their territory, their borders. But it was more than that. It was their legacy, their father's 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 put that there. This is in my family from generation to generation, and it's more than just that. This land was promised to me by God, and this stone right here, this landmark, is witness of that testimony, this thing. And so the scripture said way back, uh, I think I have it, Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 14. This is before they even made it, before they had been in the promised land, he was telling them, you're going to set borders. This is where God has put your inheritance, and thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark. Don't move it. There, it's, it means something. If you move that and say, well, I'm going to take a little bit of his territory. He's not around. Nobody's looking. I'm just going to push this over. Now I got a few more extra feet of, you know, farmland I can tell. No, do not move thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. In Proverbs, it echoes it, and there are others where it echoes this. Remove not the ancient landmark, which thy fathers have set. Why? It's just a tangible, physical reminder of what God has done. This is my inheritance. This is my place. These are my things, but not really. He gave them to me. He made his promises true in my life. So don't move the landmarks. Don't push those things out of the way. Don't let them get buried. Keep those landmarks because they mean something. They're a reminder of what God's done. The altars, altars throughout scripture, God was very clear. He didn't want you to do anything to the stones that you used on an altar. If you're going to build an altar to the Lord, those uh, fathers of our faith, they could not put a tool to it. They just put the old rugged rock, however it was, right out of the earth, and they set it down and said, this is an altar. And it's not just a place where I'm going to sacrifice, and they did. 
it's not just a covenant that I'm making with God, and it was, but many times those fathers came back to those places just to remember what God did for them at those places and in those times and the promises that he made. I've got to come back to those altars. I've got to stand on those rocks once again. I've got to see those rocks and remember that I might be going through it now, but every time I've went through it before, he brought me out. He's going to do it again this time. And if I can't see it in my own life, let me see somebody else's landmark. Let me go around. Can you tell me your testimony? Do you remember when God did something for you? Can you, can you tell me what God has done in your life? Because I'm struggling, and I know if he did it for you, he can do it for me. Amen? God is my rock. And then sometimes we need our rocks to be something that we just can go back to and remember time after time to remind ourselves that that God is our rock. And then the last point I want to make here tonight is sometimes that source of instability is not outside circumstances. Sometimes it's not the weather. Sometimes it's not the smoke that's coming from another nation down to us. Sometimes the source of my anxiety is right here. I don't, David never said too much about it, I guess a, a little bit, but I feel like he could have wrote psalm after psalm about right between my own ears is my biggest enemy. Yeah, Goliath, whatever, this thing right here is way bigger than Goliath. <laughs> or maybe that's just me, but I sure feel like I battle my own self a whole lot more than I have some outside battles. And when that happens, we have to remember what God is doing in us. And my wife has been doing some summer camp for her school district, and uh, Adley is young enough to get to go with her. So they took a field trip recently to the Ohio Caverns, where the Indians, these were caves where Indians had lived, and um, not just Indians, but in more current historical times, um, through the Civil War and all kinds of history at these Ohio Caverns. And one of the things they got to do was sift for gold and minerals through the water. And Adley's so excited, she pulls out a piece of gold. And then they give her later on a much larger nugget of gold. And I would be so ecstatic. I just found gold. But do you think they would just give a seven-year-old a big old nugget of gold? No, you know what it was. What was it? It was fool's gold. It was fool's gold. It's pyrite is the technical term for that. And uh, you can have the appearance. I think of this to myself. I try to apply it to my own life. Sometimes we can walk the walk, talk the talk. We might be able to fool some other people. We might look like we're something. But break us open. It's not real gold. You know what I mean? I, I want to be authentic on the inside. So we can, we can dress the part, we can act the part, we could even speak the part, and for so long we can fool people. But we'll never fool this one up here, right? I don't want to just look the part, act the part. I want my inside to reflect the outside. 
Amen? And that is to be pure, real gold. Pyrite, you can tell it's fake gold. You can tell that it's uh, just not the real thing by looking, actually, because pyrite is uh, a crystal. And so its structure is crystal, and that means it has straight edges. If you've ever seen a piece of pyrite, it might be all rugged looking, but every little surface is straight. The, the angles are pure angles. There's nothing rounded about a piece of pyrite because the structure inside is a crystal lattice. I'm getting all chemistry, AP chemistry technical jargon here. And the way those atoms fit together are perfectly uh, in place with each other to make these straight edges all the way through. And gold is not straight-edged. You can bend it, you can turn it into, I mean, I'd love to think this was the purest gold there was, but it's very sentimental. My wife even wrote, had it surprised me on the inside engraved with jetem, and bless her heart, it's spelled wrong. And it makes it even more sentimental to me. But we were, you know, didn't have, I don't even think we had jobs when we got married. Lord help us. But, so this, it's, it's something. It's gold. <laughs> Some level of purity, right? But it's not straight-edged. I know by looking, this is not pyrite. It might not be the purest gold there is out there. But it is definitely not fake gold because I can, it can be hammered, it can be shaped, and you can poke it and it will dent. Pyrite won't. You poke it and it will flake. So you can see just by the characteristics, though to the eye something might, ooh, that looks like gold. But under any amount of scrutiny, it's going to fail any test that gold will pass. I don't want that to be me. When I pass through the test that God puts me through, I want to be malleable in his hands. I want him to be able to put me through the fire and get purified. Don't love the thought of going through the fire. Don't really pray that way too often. Lord, just put me through it. But I know when I am going through it, I'm going to come out the other side better for it. He's making in me something good like we would with, these, with gold. Amen? And that fake gold is really interesting, <laughs> just the concept of not being what you think you are. You know, a little bit, the Bible says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. On our trip to Wisconsin, told you we left super early, and uh, my family, all of them, wife included, just asleep, sawing logs, and I'm driving and as we, the sun starts to come up, by that time we're in Indiana somewhere. And I watch as this bird, this tiny bird, flies down in front of my car. And then I didn't see it again. I looked in my rearview mirror thinking maybe it like, you know, kind of fluttered down on the ground or, or something. I, I didn't feel any impact or anything. So I don't know. But, you know, it was early and I was tired. And so who knows? I just... Huh, that's interesting. This bird flew down and disappeared. Okay, didn't think anything of it. I didn't even mention it to anybody in the car because who cares? Nobody, it was nothing. The next day, 
started to smell a little something, just a little hint of something. Every time I got in the car, first I thought maybe something's wrong with the car. You know, we've driven so far, now great, something's No, that's not a chemical smell. <laughs> that's something kind of familiar. Something rotten is the smell I was getting. And I thought, well, great. And I, immediately, I think that bird somehow got stuck to the front of the car. So the next time we get out, I look, and I don't, there's no bird. I don't, there's nothing there. And so we keep on our trip, and the smell just sort of got stronger. And finally, after a while, honestly, we were climbing a mountain, also probably why this thought was on my head about rocks. And, and we were going up this mountain in our car to do some sightseeing up in Wisconsin. And there, uh, the smell was just now too strong to sort of ignore anymore. And so we start to examine the front of the car closer, and I still don't see anything. And my wife gets down, or maybe it was one of the girls gets down, and, and underneath one of these ledges that I didn't even know existed on the car, it, there was the bird. And somehow between the heat of the engine and the wind blowing against it and traveling down the highway, it was accelerated in its, in its uh, decaying process, I guess. So now we have to deal with this dead bird that caused so much discomfort. How many of you know just sometimes a little thing inside your heart can cause a whole big stink that you have to deal with? A little bit of something can go a long way that needs to be dealt with in your heart. And that's what God is doing with us. We did finally, Reagan, Adley, everybody tried to take their turn with a stick we found on the road to get this bird out of our hood of our car. And uh, finally, it just took a manual. I had to put a bag around my hand and reach in, pull this dead bird ugh, out. And I hate birds anyway, so it was just real fun for me. And, but it's life. We got to deal with the stink. We got to deal with it. Just like that pyrite, sometimes God looks at us and he says, hey, I see some imperfections in you and I want to make it better. Some small things that might make a big impact. The interesting thing, I never knew this about fool's gold, but they have done research on fool's gold and have found that in the imperfections, when this fool's gold is being formed in the earth, sometimes it's under pressure, it stretches a funny way, and it twists. And in these twists, in that lattice that I was talking about, Real gold can attach and be present in fool's gold. They just don't have a great way of getting that gold out. It is an extensive process, and the cost to do it isn't worth the gold they get out of it. Isn't that interesting? That even when I could be something that's not what God wants me to be just yet, still inside there's something that God has to work with. God has a little bit of gold. It's just the process to get that out of me might be a little bit unpleasant. I might have to go through some things to allow the Lord to pull out some of that real good stuff that God sees in me already. 
he can deal with me how he will, how he wants to. I want to be that pure gold. I want to be that thing that he has called me to be. I want to see him face to face. I want to enter in and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if that means some discomfort here so I can go there, Lord, I'll let you do it. Amen? I'll let you deal with me in that way because I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be phony. I don't want to be anything that causes, I don't want stink in my life to him. I want to be pleasant to him. And if there are things in my life that causes him, you know, a little wrinkled nose, I'd rather him get rid of that thing than to deal with some stench coming from me. Amen? And no matter what he puts me through, no matter what I have to go through, I can stand on the rock. I can be sure that no matter what I face, no matter what he puts me through, no matter what I go through, I can trust that he's going to do a work in me and I can stand on the rock, the firm foundation. Amen. Would you stand?